1: Round of 16 produces worst possible outcome for Ronaldo. Portugal win without him scoring. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Alex Fithick, Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Is there anybody less happy about the Portugal result and performance than Cristiano Ronaldo? I'm not even sure the Swiss are more unhappy about the Portugal score and result than Cristiano Ronaldo. But boy, did I love it. I mean, not for Shaka, not for the Swiss people. I just mean the Ronaldo of it is hilarious. Um, We also got Morocco, who deserve huge, huge credit and congratulations, getting past Spain as they sharpened their passing boots all game long and then used their high-level passing skills to pass the ball at the goalkeeper throughout the penalty shootout. Um, Not what you're supposed to do, though. So they don't don't get to go through for having a 100% past success rate to the goalkeeper in penalties. Here to discuss, I think, an interesting final day of the round of 16 and the quarterfinals that lay in wait are two people, not just one people, two people. One of the people, though, is Phil, you can find him on Twitter, Phil Costa, hello Phil Costa, no, underscore Phil Costa, hello Phil Costa.
2: (laughs) Hey, Elliot, welcome back. Nice to have you.
1: (laughs) I mean, look, we have to do ad reads, so I got to be here. (laughs) That's really what it boils down to, right? Who's yeah, going to do Someone has to keep the keep lights on. Someone has to keep, keep
2: food in our mouths. You know,
1: that's that's exactly right. Uh, and here to discuss that and maybe some football is Lewis Ambrose. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hello, I'd, I'd like to second Phil. It's nice to have you on your podcast. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, I I would say well the funny thing is the artwork says World Cup Daily with Lewis Ambrose and Phil Costa it does not say anything about Elliot that's Smith. true. So that's I true. appreciate being invited onto this podcast that you two are, are providing for me. Um, and it, it's a fun day to be talking about football because it served up quite a surprise. I have to admit, I kind of hope that Portugal would bench Cristiano Ronaldo, not just because I thought it'd be hilarious to laugh at Cristiano, but also because I don't think they're as good with him. And I think that's pretty evident that You know, however done he might be, he's done enough that he shouldn't be starting for Portugal in the World Cup. Sure enough, they benched him. What I did not see coming was who they would bench him for. Um, You know, I think there was some thought that maybe Leao might come in and start, or you know, someone, someone else, anyone. I'm not sure who they were going to put through the middle, but someone else. What I did not see coming was that it would be Ramos and. I also did not see him scoring a hat trick uh, in that starting role, so a, a really, really interesting first match to cover. And I guess, Lewis, I will give you the honor of talking me through your reaction when you initially discovered that Ronaldo would not be starting, and who would be starting in his place. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think him not starting didn't feel like an enormous surprise to me today. After yeah, you know, the the coach Fernando Santos complained sort of yesterday in the press conference about the way ronaldo had acted he didn't like the way he reacted to to being substituted in the previous game uh there were talk in portugal over the last couple of days would he take the captaincy off him would he so i, th- I think not starting off the back of that didn't it wasn't an enormous shock <laughs> it's a big move to instead start someone who's never started a game for Portugal before <laughs> like that's you know that's crazy. Gonzalo Ramos is having an amazing season had a good last season with Benfica and he's having an amazing season with Benfica now. Uh, I did not think no the like you you know you've mentioned Rafael Liao. you've got Vitinho on the bench who's banging goals in for for Braga as well. Ricardo Horta they played against uh, South Korea and and he scored two. So there were options there that had maybe presented themselves, you know, across league form. Not that Ramos hasn't, but league form. Uh, the previous game, I then definitely didn't expect him to steal the entire show uh, and, <laughs> and 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 score a hat trick. The first one, by the way, is just. Oh, I mean, all three goals are great. The, the first yeah. one is explosive. Uh, on German TV here, Bastian Schweinsteiger was sort of questioning whether or not Jan Sommer could have reacted quicker at uh, his mm. near post. I'm like, that is absolute nonsense. The ball has gone past him like an absolute bullet. The, he, he could barely get his arms in the air and the net was already gone. The, the Portugal bench was already joining Ramos in the corner. So, yeah, I thought the, I thought all three goals were were fantastic. I thought the... It just goes to show what you can you know, take the goals out of it, what you add to a team by having a player who moves up front and not Crist- not Cristiano Ronaldo, who's just looking for service all the time, wants the ball into feet, everything has to revolve around him. Ramos is going to take centre-backs away, he's going to you know, hold the ball up, bring others into play, but it's especially the movement in behind, threatening in behind, creating space for people behind him. Switzerland. I mean, we'll come on to Switzerland, who I thought were really, really disappointing. I didn't understand why they changed to a to a back five. Mm. I, I didn't really get the idea at all. But Portugal, you know, they they used it perfectly. And yeah. Ramos, well, he's going to start the quarterfinal now, isn't he? You can't you can't put a guy in and he scores a hat trick on his first ever start for the country, and then you drop him for the next game. So, uh, yeah, goodbye, Cristiano
1: Ronaldo. yeah no no kidding um and then watching him try to score from many many yards offside when he came on also funny um i I wonder if switzerland's change in system has anything to do with the 4-0 that they had they when when was that um there was a 4-0 that they played against each other i feel like a friendly or in qualifying or something like that. The commentators were talking about it. And I have to admit, I try to tune the commentators out, but I wonder if that was in their mind. Um, well, F- Phil, there were a couple of other surprises. I mean, I, were you surprised to see Cancelo not start? Were there any other surprises in that Portugal lineup for you? That was one that I, I didn't know that that was a consideration. Maybe he's not fit or there's something I don't know, but were you surprised that he didn't make the starting 11?
2: Um, not really. I mean, there have, there has been a little bit of chat about him, not being at his best um during the World Cup so far.
1: Have any of the Manchester City players been good? Or are they all just trying to get back to the league so that they can <laughs> beat us for the title? What the hell is going on? De Bruyne board, was terrible. What's what's the deal attacks?
2: Yeah. 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 He's Pep's had a word. He said no no injuries, no effort being made. Thank you. Um yeah, I don't know. I I just it was very strange to me because Portugal set up in a in a quite a narrow formation. So going back to Lewis's point, why did Switzerland decide to put in a back five? I mean, it just didn't look right from the first minute, you know, and especially because their wing backs, uh, Ruben Vargas and Edmilson Fernandes, are are just way too attacking. So the left hand side for Portugal, every time I was looking up the screen, Rafael Guerrero was just getting in behind, and it's like what, mm. and I can understand a decision going wrong where maybe you don't feel like. Portugal set up in the way you expected or maybe you had other ideas for how you were going to play but change it but he left it there and for the whole first half and it was just every time Rafa Guerrero in on the overlap Joao Felix coming inside and it was just I didn't understand it you know they also had Xhaka as the deepest midfielder instead of Freuler you know which meant you know, Mbolo was totally isolated. I mean, to be fair, he he got the best of, of Ruben Diaz, I think, in that first half. But there was just nobody close to him. The distances were huge. And, you know, everything we've kind of praised Switzerland to be, which is, you know, aware, yeah. compact, you know, collectively strong. I just didn't... It was like they just ditched all of their principles. And maybe that was due to a an incredibly exhausting game against Serbia, both mentally and physically. I'm not sure if they were able to replicate those levels in such a quick turnaround, but there was just a lot, both from, from the Switzerland manager and, and even the players themselves on the pitch that I didn't really understand during this game.
1: It's just so weird because Switzerland are so well coached. It's what they're thought of. You know, they're organized. They know how they want to play. They have their system. They change it at a key moment and could not have gotten it more wrong. I think we need to take a beat for a second, though, because, Lewis, all that anybody listening right now wants to know is, how much are we going to have to pay Benfica for this guy <laughs> in January? Um, you know, I, like, I, I have to admit, I went to the old FB ref on Gonzalo Ramos, and I'm like, Oh, he's over one expected goal per 90 this season. Okay. Nine goals, one assist, 11 starts, 798 minutes, a so very small sample size. But he's he was a respectable, you know, half half an expected goal per 90 last season, 0.62x GXA, uh, only the seven goals in 1,600 minutes last season. So I think we have some educating of ourselves to do. So for the people that are wondering what it will cost to get him in January and if he can be there January 1st, if he's not still drunk from winning the World Cup with a hat trick in the final what do we need to know about um gonzalo ramos gonzalo I-, I guess ramos and what um w- what he's going to bring to arsenal I think what
3: you can hear in the background there, Elliot, is the sound of that ship sailing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> money printer go burr. If you're if you're at Benfica right now, that's all you think. Money printer go brrr.
3: The I, I know I know Phil obviously uh, Phil has such an eye for, for youth football and or players that are breaking through at uh, so many of these clubs. Um, Benfica have. A conveyor belt. I mean, that term gets used all the time. But Benfica probably as much as anybody else in Europe just have a conveyor belt for these players, especially attacking players. And it, yeah, every year a new one arrives. Last year, it was Darwin Nunes and Gonzalo Ramos wasn't being talked about, and then they sell Darwin Nunes for <laughs> an insane fee, and then it doesn't matter because you know you don't even have to go out and replace him because this guy's sitting there, you know, playing half the minutes last season and is ready to just take on. A full-time first team role immediately it's unbelievable but w- that's what you see with Benfica right like they don't need any money Um, it doesn't take a great deal of money to compete at the top of the, the Portuguese league you know comparative to what we're used to in the Premier League mm. them and and Porto and Sporting have so much more money than anyone else in the league anyway Uh there's no yeah and then you can't attract big names because the bigger names are going to go for bigger wages and go to one of the bigger leagues. So Benfica find themselves in this incredible financial position of not needing to sell any of their players to compete at the level they compete at, but still producing players that can compete at the absolute like Champions League level Which just means when a team that wants to go far in the Champions League and win one of the bigger European leagues comes along and wants to sign one of their players, they can point to either the release clause in their contract, which is usually, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 million, or they can say, if there's no release clause, yeah, well, we want 100 million and that's the price. And that's why we saw what happened uh, with the Darwin Nunes fee in the summer. Um, It's funny as well, obviously, like the, the Portuguese league isn't the greatest league around, but these players who who put up these numbers tend to do pretty well when they go abroad as well.
1: That's an and, interesting point. Yeah. Uh, there have been some notable failures, but yeah, I mean, I mean, they do tend to do pretty but, well. But and it's
3: not like Eredivisie level or or maybe no even, that
1: yeah you, you know
3: true. like nobody seems to really massively flop when they they come out of Portugal. So yeah, it's a uh, you know especially I mean, a lot of them move to Spain and and the football's fairly similar. But yeah, it's uh Gonzalo Ramos. Good luck. Uh, let's let's move on to the next one, probably. As far as Arsenal are concerned for January, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Phil, I'll give you a, a quick final word on on him and what what you make of him, and if somebody is going to go spend 100 million on this guy, how far over their ski tips are they getting? I mean, I look at him and I say it's an awfully small sample size, but by the same token, the guy just scored a hat trick against Switzerland in the World Cup, and he looked awfully confident doing it, and he flashed a lot of different skills. Along the way, I mean, there's, he tickles one, he powers one, right? He had a little bit of everything. He also got unlucky with a save uh, tipped around the bar, right? Uh, Early on, I think if I'm remembering correctly on a ball that was threaded through nicely. So is, is someone going to go spend more than this guy's worth or is, or are we seeing the next uh, true star coming out of the Portuguese league?
2: Well, I mean, the team that pushed most most for him in the summer was Southampton. So mm-hmm. you know they pushed hard for Cody Gakpo, couldn't get him. They pushed hard for Gonzalo Ramos, didn't get him. And Lewis was talking about the Arsenal ship sailing. I think uh, Southampton ship is on another continent um, for those two. I mean, he's been bubbling under the surface for a while now. I think with Darwin Nunez there, Benfica have managed his his development really well. They've kind of eased him in. 20 minutes here, some minutes here. He had an incredible record of coming on to score from the bench. Um, and I think he was ready and they were ready to sell Darwin. So it kind of was a marriage of convenience. Mm. But I just think it's it's so amazing how he handled tonight. You know, what a way to deal with all that pressure that that he didn't ask for. You know, it's the highest compliment to him that he has not only vindicated, you know, Fernando Santos's decision to start him, but made it a non-story as well, you know, and to come on and, and score a hat-trick. And, you know, he's only played 33 minutes of international football before tonight. And it's incredible. And I think what you said, Elliot, the variety he offered Portugal, the ability to go mm-hmm. in behind, the ability to hold it, you know, he scored one with his left, like you said, a power drive right into the corner. He scored another one that was a much more of a striker's goal, um, beating Akanji to the ball at the near post. The that other was, one, that, a really that delicate, was
3: like pure Giroud that goal.
2: <laughs> very, um, you know, and another really delicate finish. And there's just a lot to his game. And not only did he give Switzerland more to think about as a as a striker himself. But the added attention that maybe Ronaldo wouldn't have got gave a lot of space to the others, which is why we saw Joao Felix play well. That's why we saw Bruno Fernandes in acres of space in the midfield. That's why we saw Bernardo Silva buzzing around like he normally does. And it wasn't the stodgy, kind of unconvincing Portugal we've seen for a couple of times this this tournament already. So I just think... Lewis is right. There's no way that Ronaldo should be back in uh, against Morocco, even though it's a game that could potentially suit him a little bit more if they're going to be kind of camped in in and around the box. You can't drop him. And more importantly, I think he's, he's done Portugal a favor because you could see them slowly trying to move past Ronaldo, but they couldn't do it. And he's just given them the perfect excuse to do it.
1: And we should mention there was still enough time for Ronaldo to come in. Not impress and be shown up at the death by Raphael, who scores an absolutely beautiful late goal, so we get the young the young bucks, the young exciting players from Portugal scoring scoring beautifully um uh, quickly before we shift to the Switzerland to this just briefly um any, any word about the Ronaldo component of this, Lewis like it is pretty damn funny, I don't know if you saw the pre match for the national anthems like the the flood of reporters just wanting to get shots mm-hmm. of Ronaldo sitting on the bench. The guy is so tedious at this point. And I'm sorry, like if you're listening and you're a Ronaldo fan, first of all, how, like, how are you an Arsenal fan and a Ronaldo <laughs> fan? I, I've never understood how those two things live together. Like you see someone's Twitter account and it's like Arsenal bar Ronaldo. You know what I mean? Like, like those, those titles like that, that don't make any logical sense. Like Liverpool FC Messi. Like, how do those accounts come to be? Like, I don't I don't get them. But, um, so if you're a Ronaldo fan, like, fair play. I guess there are going to be Portuguese listeners who who are. Um, that I can sort of understand. But I have to admit, as someone who's not, who's not a fan of his, this is very funny. I think it is the end of the road for him. But Portugal go through. Does he continue to become a distraction? How do you, how do you see this playing out with Ronaldo now?
3: I, I think Phil was right that Gonzalo Ramos made this easy. There are a lot of players there who have had to play for years now to accommodate Cristiano Ronaldo and we've seen it at Manchester United over the last couple of seasons as well oh oh, look how many goals he scored last season yeah well look how many Mm -hmm. goals Bruno Fernandes didn't score or assists Bruno Fernandes didn't get compared to the season before when Ronaldo wasn't there Uh, you know Rashford's the same there are too many players when Ronaldo plays that have to play for him and really accommodate him Portugal looks so much more fluid today. They were clinical when they got their chances as well. So I think this is this is the dream scenario. I I th- I think this only would be a distraction really if uh, Santos had dropped him and Ramos had not played very well, not scored, maybe Portugal sneaked through, maybe Ronaldo comes off the bench and and looks okay. And then Santos is put in a really hard position. Do you stick to your guns? Do you put Ronaldo back in? He's going to kick up a fuss at training or you know, on the way home tonight, or back to the hotel, whatever. Ronaldo doesn't have a leg to stand on now. If he wants to go to Santos and complain about not starting and moan that it's not the right thing to do, he just doesn't have a leg to stand on. Like The players know it. Santos can point to today's performance and say, look, we played like that. There's no way I can put you back in the team. So I I think this would have been a distraction if it hadn't gone so well. I think the result and the performance... And look, it'll become a distraction again at some point. I have no doubt about that because Portugal aren't going to turn up and score six goals uh, you know and and win the World Cup in and if they lose Greece at any point
1: game. without Ronaldo starting he's gonna go scorched earth right and oh, like- even
3: if even if like during games like if they go one nil down like we've seen we'll, we'll talk about them in a bit but we've mm-hmm. seen today again how solid Morocco are it'll be a really different challenge I think you look at you look at Switzerland Fabian share I think is quite good Manuel Kanji I don't rate particularly highly especially not against a, a physical striker who wants to stretch him um and and battle with him in the air as well. Mm. But also the first two goals today and and the game was sort of over after the first two goals. There's one that's just a, like a screamer, like a one in a hundred, he'll hit the ball that well. And another one from a set piece. Portugal were by far the better team, but it wasn't like they from the off like just blew Switzerland away. And if they play like they play, you know, and then the game opened up and they and they tore them apart. But if they play like they played in that first like 20 minutes or so today and maybe they don't get a shot that just explodes off someone's foot into the top corner from a ridiculous angle. Mm. Morocco are going to make life a lot harder for them than Switzerland did today. And that's when I think it could become a distraction. Like you get to the 50-minute the mark against Morocco and Ronaldo's sitting there on the bench. And even today when they'd scored four or five goals, the stadium was shouting his name, asking for him to be brought on, basically. Easy. It, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he, and, then, and then he's standing there so Pepe can put the armband on him before he enters the pitch. For some reason, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a bit of a pantomime, and but that pantomime will only become a problem when Portugal need a goal, which they will at some point.
1: Yeah, and I, it just it strikes me as totally possible too that they could need a goal, and like if if you're the manager of Portugal, Phil and you're a goal down, and it's the 62nd minute, and you're looking at that bench, and Leal's on it, and Ronaldo's on it, are you bringing on Ronaldo? Like, I think tonight it was made easy for both of them. It was made easy for everyone, because the guy who came and scored a hat trick in the game was won. And then you can bring Ronaldo on and say, run around out there, try to get yourself a goal, which you couldn't, which is hilarious. But if this is a close game, if it's nil-nil, if it's one nil to Morocco, and it's 62nd minute, where I think the rubber could really meet the road in terms of of... <laughs> this thing melting down is when Ronaldo isn't the guy he calls on. When Ronaldo isn't even isn't only not starting, but isn't the first guy to come in to try to, to make Sing of the game. And I don't think that's far-fetched, you know?
2: No, and I, I think it's an interesting shift because during his, well, admittedly very long peak, um, Ronaldo was often seen as the guy who would take games by the scruff of the neck and really bring his teams back from the dead. You know, we saw it in the Champions League with Real Madrid, with Juventus, you know, how many times did he just pop up with a goal from nowhere? And, and you know, you can't doubt that he didn't. He's one of the best finishers, you know, of in, in football history. But now I think it's becoming abundantly clear that Ronaldo's interest is Ronaldo. And it's just wearing very thin on a lot of people, whether it's Eric ten Hag at Manchester United and and his players, you know, his fellow teammates at United. Now you can see there's a, a little bit of tension within the Portugal squad, you know, because he doesn't care about them now. It's all about him. And this is a man who is really struggling to accept the fact that after 15 years at the top, he's finally not there anymore. And he, you know, that's just a normal part of every career. It's an it's an, an entirely normal trajectory for everybody to face, but he's just so stubborn. And, you know, um, this inability to get over that is is not only harming his teammates, but his reputation. And it, people are seeing it, uh, this kind of charade clearly now. It's not about anybody else but himself.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we've given him probably more airtime than his demanded of this situation quickly shifting gears oh by the way there's probably going to be a lot of jo- joao felix links to arsenal now that is his, <laughs> his uh, agent has gone big with the journey he needs to continue he needs to move on um rightfully so there'll probably be links tomorrow there's going to be a patreon pod uh with clive going over some of those links not a scouting video just a an old school talking to a microphone podcast talking about some um some potential transfer targets and things going on in the Arsenal sphere. So you can tune in for that if you like. And uh, you, know, you don't even need to watch it. You don't need to do anything fancy. You just put it in your earballs. It'll work perfectly. Um, on the Swiss side, Granit Xhaka comes home. And like, it's sad. And I'm sure he'll be depressed. He'll be disappointed. I think there's sort of a happy medium of where you can fail in the World Cup and, and not be totally heartbroken. Now, the manner of the defeat is going to sting. But I think we get Shaka back at the perfect time. He got out of the group. Played reasonably well. Still fit. I don't think crashing out to Portugal is going to be a, you know, a heartbreak necessarily. I mean, it's always a heartbreak when you go out of the World Cup. But I, I think he can overcome it. He did get out of the group. He did make the knockout rounds. And he gets home in enough time that he should be starting for Arsenal on Boxing Day. This is probably the best case scenario for one of the players we just could not afford to be without in light of the Jesus injury. So... You feel pretty good about how Shaka leaves this tournament, Phil? Uh,
2: yeah, I think so. Uh, well, it's easy for us to say it, but I'm not sure if you saw those Tomiyasu quotes where he he was clearly quite devastated at, about you how we to clear my head, feel. get away from football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was and not, I think not that, didn't sound great. No, and I think it's maybe an angle that we don't appreciate so much as as you know viewers because ultimately these are guys going out and and playing for their country and you know. I don't think Tommy Asu was even that bad, um, but I just think the disappointment of of the exit on those penalties, uh, have, you know, having invested so much mentally and physically. I mean, it's it's normal. It's going to drain a person, and you know, the mental aspect of football is one that that we are not privy to. But I think Arsenal are, are very switched on in that kind of department, and and hopefully they'll be giving players not only enough time to to rest and recover, but also give them, you know, the emotional support that they need when they come back. And it's, it's Tommy Yasu, it's Xhaka, it's Gabriel Jesus. A lot of these guys will need an arm around the shoulder, I'm sure. So, um, look, I trust Xhaka. He's a, he's a, you know, seasoned professional. It's not his first rodeo. He's faced disappointment before he's probably come back from worse. So I think he'll be okay and, and, and ready for the task ahead.
1: Yeah. And and I hope so. And you're right. The Tomiyasu quotes weren't great, but like it was December fourth or fifth, I guess, when he when he went out and, and gave those quotes. Twenty one days later, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. It's not what he would have had n- under normal circumstances if this was the summer. But I have to think if he can take two weeks of just being on holiday and forgetting it, and then one week of ramping back up, he should be fine. And I don't want to speculate about what's going on with Ben White. My suspicion is that Ben White will be okay, is my hope, whatever it is. And if he is, again, not to diminish Tomiyasu's importance to the team whatsoever, there's every possibility that we don't need Tomiyasu starting the way we need Granite Shaka starting. So it's, it's a different maybe, priority. Maybe yeah, that slightly go ahead, depends on,
3: on William, when William Saliba gets home as well, though. So
1: that's true. If, if France go all the way to the final, even if Saliba doesn't play a minute, other than the minutes he's, he played already in the group stage, It would be... I mean, the final's on the 18th. You gotta give the guy a week off, even if he hasn't been playing, so... Mm -hmm. Then you're right. Then it's probably Ben White at center back and Tomiasu at full back. So good point. Uh, you've panicked me again now. So thank you for yeah, that. I appreciate it.
3: But we, but we do need these players We like need as many of these players as possible because I mean, with the with the Jesus injury, I mean, he wouldn't have been back anyway, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to think anyone who now at this stage, anyone who wins one more game is staying around until the end. There, you know, there's a there's a third place game, which everybody's. Dying to see, I'm sure. Um, well, and
1: unfortunately, that's probably a heavy rotation. So those, you know, if you if you get a France in the third place game, you yeah, could have Saliba sort of starting, situation. or you know, um, I mean, you, but,
3: you know, like so that. it was everyone sort of one win away from that now, though, and we we need the back half of the team to look as strong as possible because there's every chance that Saka and Martinelli are both away until uh, a week before the West Ham game, and we're lining up with neither of them nor Gabby Jesus. Uh, against West Our Ham. Our Boxing so, Day
1: lineup is going to look like Brentford away last season, isn't it? Just the front
3: it's three. It's going to be that bad, isn't it? Just the front three. But, like, that's, you know, it's definitely a silver lining. Just with, the front with three. Jack, <laughs> with Xhaka today. <laughs> like, you know, to have to Xhaka have Party and and Odegaard and sort of the regular back four, maybe this one change there or something, uh, is obviously a massive boost anyway. So, it, it, uh, Jack are coming home today in light of, you know, looking at the front three and none of them possibly being available is could be pretty big, I think, for that West Ham
1: game. We're probably looking at Vieira and Kedia Smith Rowe as the front three for West yeah, Ham. Yeah, or,
3: or Nelson, possibly, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So maybe just the 2 0 to Arsenal. Fine, no problem. Um, all right, well, let's get ready to shift gears. Unless you have anything else to say about about this game, Lewis, I mean, like, I feel like I spent a lot of time just talking about Ronaldo who didn't play a part, which means we're sort of feeding into the the whole media circus around him, I guess. But this game was won early. There was so much space. Portugal attacked it again and again. Switzerland didn't seem to know how to approach the game once they fell behind because once they started going for it, they were really in trouble. The headline, obviously, is the center forward situation, and I just don't know that there's much else here. So is there anything you think we've missed or anything you want to highlight? The Liao goal was great. I, I don't... I don't see a lot else here other than just a comprehensive victory over a Swiss team that looked pretty lost from the moment they went behind. I just think me and Phil
3: deserve to to blow our horns when we talk about Morocco in a minute. So we should probably mention that maybe Portugal aren't as awful as we thought.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah that's fair. And And do you want to talk, anyone want to talk about Denmark? uh, how they did in the tournament and any of the dark, (laughs)
3: Denmark, (laughs) Uruguay, Switzerland, get out of here. (laughs)
1: Yeah. All of your, all of your good shouts. Okay. Um, well, the one thing I I do want to let you know is that, you know, the, the world cup is big business. And if you work at FIFA and you're listening to this and you don't have a website for the world cup or a place to sell your merchandise, you should consider Shopify. I mean, I don't know if we've got any FIFA representatives listening. You should consider Shopify. And the great thing is they have a very affordable program. You just give me an envelope with $5 million in it, and I will set you up a Shopify account. I'm kidding. That's not how it works. It might be how it works at FIFA. But for you listening, it's an affordable, easy way to start your own business. And as someone who set up a lot of Shopify sites myself, it's crazy. You want to sell on Facebook or Instagram, you drag and drop. It's done. You want a banner on it that says free shipping or a timer that ticks down to when the end of a promotion is running. You just drag and drop, and it's done. I mean, sometimes you don't even have to have the product. They'll do what's called drop shipping. So you just put the product on the website, people buy it, and it ships from somewhere else. My wife's gotten into baking. She wants to sell her baking stuff. You can have the most professional-looking baking website. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere, whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers. It's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform Simplifying Commerce for millions of businesses worldwide, whether you're a beginner or you are a global footballing operation with shopify you'll customize your online store to your brand discover new customers and build the relationship that creates diehard fans shopify fields all sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person point of sale system so if you have an actual store to an all-in-one e-commerce plan, and even across social media platforms like tiktok never heard of it facebook and instagram and thanks to 24 7 support and free on-demand business courses shopify is your team every step of the way i think it would actually surprise you by the way there are a lot of like global global businesses no joking that you like that's one of the biggest businesses in the world and their e-commerce store is, is on Shopify's platform. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify, and you can too. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Don't know why. Is, can web links be, can links addresses be case sensitive? Shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash arsenalvision. And once you have done that, you're going to feel amazing. But just because you feel amazing doesn't mean your body is in amazing health. And in order for your body to be in amazing health, you need to get AG1 from Athletic Greens. It is the combination of 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. What are you going to do? You're going to take gummies. You're going to pee them right out. There's not going to be anything that gets in your bloodstream. You're going to have 17 cups of coffee because you're tired all the time. Then you're going to take ginkgo biloba because you can't concentrate. Then you're going to take, you know, thc to calm you down to be fair stick with the thc don't get rid of that you can do ag1 and keep the thc in your life point is this does all the things it's all the benefits it's all the things why do you consume it why do you take it because you want to have energy you want to have focus you want to have gut health it is keto paleo vegan free daily free gluten free it's less than the price of an expensive cup of coffee it Has over seven thousand five 5 five-star reviews and you can do it now to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs for the first purchase per- per- purchase purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Phil!
2: Is that enough of that? Indeed.
1: that Okay. Ah, that one felt good. Ah, Stretch the legs a little bit. We're recording late in the afternoon. Could be siesta time. Get that. Wakes you up. Here you go. Now we're ready. And we are ready to talk about Morocco. Laying the hurt on Spain in penalties. Phil, I thought this was a really well-contested game. I thought Spain did the thing they do where they press and they control and they keep the ball. But Morocco, to their credit, they were brave with their one-touch football from back to front to get out. I think the thing you cannot do against Spain is just let them pin you deep. You cannot just hold onto the ball and expect there to be space. You can't just boot it up the pitch. And Morocco, they didn't always do it right, but they were—they had conviction that they were going to try to play out of that press, that they were going to one-touch their way out. The keeper showed some bravery at times, where I was thinking, "No, oh, just kick it along. I-, I think Spain deserves credit, because this cliche of, oh, they just did 1,000 passes. No, they're a good team. They're a good team that does really good things. Their press is good. You don't see a lot of international teams as coordinated as they are. They showed coordination and talent. Morocco showed courage and and precision and skill, and it was a well-contested game. I think both teams deserve huge credit, but... This isn't a World Cup of huge credit. It's a World Cup of football and one team goes home and that's Spain. So what do you think about the nonsense I just said to set you up to discuss this game?
2: It wasn't nonsense at all. Uh, You know, I don't think anybody was... (laughs) I don't think anybody was surprised at how this game panned out. You know, Spain, obviously, the the more patient, possession-based, technical side, while Morocco are very kind of intense physically... Uh, compact and look to break on the counter, and I think a couple of things for me were really the story of this game, and that's and and one of those things was Yusuf and Nasiri, who did an excellent job sitting on Sergio Busquets, and that made it really really difficult for for Spain to get through uh, through Laporte or through Rodri because Nasiri was just stuck on Busquets the whole game, and that forced. Pedri, who's much more dangerous further forward, Gavi, who's much more dangerous further forward. They almost had to be next to their respective centre backs at some points to just to try and get the ball, you know. And it was a really kind of intelligent thing for for Morocco to do because obviously Busquets, everyone knows about him, what he does. Um, but they were starved. They were starved of any ser- uh, service, a- any progression. Um, and the midfield three, particularly for Morocco, I mean, so, so good. Again, I'm um, but I'm just going to get a quick word in already. I'm sure mm-hmm. we're going to speak about him later, but he's been, for me, one of the players of the tournament and his role just in front of that that back four today, he was faultless, absolutely faultless. Um, and I think Spain just didn't know how to deal with deal with the questions that Morocco were posing. I mean, there was also another interesting call with with Marcos Llorente playing at right back. I'm not sure what the thinking was there. I think Azpilicueta has been fine. Um, nothing great, but he got a nice assist from Murata. Maybe there were some question marks about how he would be able to deal with Sofian Buffal, who's very tricky, very quick. Um, but Llorente made absolutely no difference because he was getting roasted every single time. So, you know, for me, those two, you know, those two tactical should we say factors I thought really kind of dictated this game and and it wasn't just a a feeling of Morocco sitting back I I really thought they they did try and play when they got out you know the right side was a little bit disappointing at times I thought Hakimi would have tried Mm -hmm. to get forward a lot more Um, but in general I thought they they were really strong technically really aware of their roles and and you know ultimately really committed which which really threw Spain off
1: yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing, Lewis, is that Morocco ha- isn't just some plucky underdog. They've got some really talented players in this team that play at the highest level. Um, I think there is a tendency sometimes to just make lazy conclusions about who the favorites are, but Morocco were great in the group stage. They're great in this game. Let, let's just set the Morocco part aside just for a second. Because we'll come back and praise them. They deserve a lot of praise. They deserved it. The group stage probably didn't get enough. They deserve a ton today. There is this sort of sneering dismissal of Spain as a team that just passes to death with no point. And I don't know, maybe it's because I support a nation that does not have footballing heritage and you know has some issues that we need to work through if we're going to be a, a real international level team. Like I think the way Spain play is really excellent. And I can't poke a lot of holes in it. Scoring goals is hard. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. They hit the post with a flashing shot at the death, the very, very death of this game. They did create openings. Um, There's a lot of young talent in this team, too. This is another golden generation coming through. Pedro and Gavi, and uh, Pedri and Gavi. I mean, like, they're going to be good for a while. What's your sense of the way, I mean, look, it is funny to laugh at Spain and say, ha, 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 they pass to the keeper and the penalties, we'll get to the penalties, but like, What's your sense of the way that I think people are a little dismissive of Spain? Because I, I get this is very this was a very Spain way to go out, but I think they played some of the best football in this tournament, just without the goals.
3: Yeah, and I think it was the same story uh, at the Euros eighteen months ago as well. I think they were probably the most exciting and interesting team to watch at the Euros. And and you were right before when you said like people talk about the passing and stuff, but it's the way they box teams in. Like mm-hmm. there are, there are two things about Spain that that strike me. Um, and that's the, the, in sort of an impressive sense. And that's that they're pressing high up the pitch. Uh, how they cover every single option, and you cannot escape it. It does require pretty much perfect one touch football to get out and pin them back, and and sort of get into their half. Which just means this relentless pr- wave of pressure just keeps coming and coming and coming because you invariably give the ball away against them and don't even make it to the halfway line. And the other thing is how impossible they are to press. Uh, you know, Phil mentioned it today. That's the key is to sit on Busquets mm-hmm. and force everybody else back to because Busquets can't feed the ball through to you. But you you've seen it in the I mean the Germany game. I think still um, if you if you take two teams and both of them are out. Um, but if you take just two teams playing football, the Germany game uh, for me, the the group stage, the second game was the only game I've seen at this World Cup, and I think maybe England France could could be another one that we see in a few days. That's the only game so far at this World Cup that I saw, and I thought like I could have been watching a Champions League semi final or or Champions League quarter final from the the level of both teams on the pitch for the entire ninety minutes, and I think Spain were. That, that was them all over. They're just like perfect when you try to press them. It's impossible. And then they find the gaps. When you don't press them quite so high and you sit off a little bit, and, and this is what Morocco have done brilliantly this whole tournament, Morocco do not let you near anywhere near their box. It's just protect the box. Protect the box and the sort of 10 meters, uh, 10 yards immediately ahead of the box – you can have the ball further back than that you can have the ball on the flanks but you're not coming into a into our box or that sort of zone 14 area and spain just don't have the players they don't have the profiles to really deal with that i thought they were better when when williams came off the bench late on because he's just so quick and individually that's what you need in those moments players that will take one, two, three men on, and you know, I mean, gravity is the basketball term, right? Like you just mm-hmm. suck players in, and and that's when the spaces open up somewhere else. I think Spain were were a bit better today with with Morata on the pitch. They, but they just couldn't, they couldn't break down that stubborn back line. I mean, Morocco are super organized; they're super compact. Uh, Phil mentioned Amrabat before. Like he, the whole tournament, he plays sort of behind the rest of the midfield four, but then one of the it's it's not like you know. I think if you talk about like a 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one, and you think of pressing and defending, you think of that one striker getting quite isolated and, and being easy to outnumber and play around. But the way that Morocco have played is like the if the, the ball goes to, say, like their left, then the the centre midfielder in the left kind of jumps out and joins the, the centre forward in that press. And the same on the right-hand side. And it's Amrabat's job to just plug every single gap that appears mm. when that happens on either side of the midfield, when gaps appear in the back line because, you know, the fullback gets pulled out of position and the whole tournament, and Phil mentioned him, like sort of put, picked him out as as a player from today. The, the whole tournament he's done it, he just jumps into those gaps and fills it. It's incredible, like moving like, like water, just the, the gap opens up and he just fills the spot and there's no way through. I think you know. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see them play Portugal, especially if if Portugal play without Ronaldo, uh, because if Spain don't have the tools to break a team down like that, then I think anyone's going to struggle. Uh, you know, we can talk about the passing, but. Yeah, maybe Spain needs to take more risks sometimes. Maybe Pedri needs to to get further forward. And and I think that's like the next the next step in his game because he's got all the tools. Uh, I think I saw after the game today that he didn't have a touch inside the opposition box for the in the entire tournament, not just yeah, today.
1: That's an issue.
3: Um but I you know I said after the first Spain game, I, I saw this as a, a like a bit of a different era, like the front three with Danny Olmo, with Ferran Torres playing down the middle. Like these aren't Central midfield, tick attacker, mm-hmm. footballers. These are players who do want to stretch the the back line and get in behind and, and fill those gaps. And Morocco just gave them absolutely no gaps to stretch them today. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, and I mean the number of teenagers and twenty year olds in this team that either started or came on today is astonishing. Um, Gavi's eighteen. <laughs> Farron Torres is the, uh, one of the old men in in that group at twenty two. You know, Danny, almost 24, but, you know, he'll be around in four years' time. He'll be th- sort of the senior statesman in the next World Cup. And you look at some of the players that came on, like Alejandro's, is he 18, I think? Yeah, 19, 19 years old. Yeah, um, Balde,
2: Nico Williams, Antoufati, <laughs> yeah. you know. Jeremy Pino so... is, mm-hmm.
1: is, what, 20? So, yeah. No, well, well so uh, they're going to, look, they're, they're going to be around, and and I think there'll be more to come from them. Let, let's, Phil, let's cut to the chase and get to the penalties. We saw Japan do a pretty poor job in penalty shootout. And I feel like Spain may have felt bad for Japan. I think these were worse. This was as bad as it gets. And it's funny because we lived through COVID football. And I think what COVID football taught me, apart from the fact that it's a hell of a nice thing to have fans in the stands, is that Penalties are in that class of thing that every single player can do well, and it's pressure alone that dictates what happens because there's no way Spain take those penalties in that fashion with those results if they're just doing it on on the training pitch, and it's just incredible what pressure does to a professional athlete. Are those the worst penalties you've ever seen? I mean, outside I mean, of I've, youth level.
2: <laughs> I've definitely seen worse. Um, but I think it's it's what you said. I th- I, you know, you cannot underestimate the influence of that crowd because
1: that's
3: a great geographic,
2: that geographically up. it was in Doha, but we could have been in Marrakesh or yep. Rabat. You know, it was red shirts everywhere and not the, the, the typical red of Spain. It was Morocco on each stand, each corner, you know, drumming the whole game, singing the whole game. This was, you know, it was clear where the influence was, where the support was coming from, and I don't think you can underplay that. These are these are professional footballers, particularly Sergio Busquets, Pablo Sarabia. These guys are heading into their thirties now. They've they've played Champions League games in Turkey. Mm-hmm. They've played in Greece. They've played in hostile atmospheres. You know, these aren't just young players who who have may, uh, maybe being introduced to a hostile atmosphere for the first time. These are like experienced guys, technical guys. And I understand why people think penalties can be a lottery. For me, they're, 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 anything, but I think it's a real test of your, of your mental strength. I think it's a real test of your technique. Um, and I just think in that particular situation, Spain just found themselves completely overwhelmed with with everything that was going on around them. I think that miss towards the you know the dying seconds will also have been playing in their minds.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They weren't great. <laughs> um, I don't think a, a single one was hit hard or with any conviction. I mean, it's what we spoke about yesterday with Lewis. The goalkeeper has to guess the right way, but even if the goalkeeper guesses the right way, you have control about how hard. You hit penalties and where you put them, and I don't think anything was um, was hit with conviction today for Spain. But yeah, I just don't think you can underestimate underestimate the role of the crowd there because it was like a home game for Morocco.
1: And then you get the Penenka penalty to wrap it up.
2: Oh, <laughs> I mean that is filthy. that is that is what the World Cup should be. You know the post-mortem is going to continue for Spain. There's going to be a lot of talk about their style and whether they they need to change things up. And is Luis Enrique the right man to take the the next generation forward? Yes. But in terms of, (laughs) in terms of that moment, I mean, does it get any more world cup than that? I mean, that is just, it's perfection. This is, you know, somebody who was born in, in Spain to Moroccan parents. He's chosen to represent Morocco instead of Spain. He steps up, you know, the biggest moment of his life, of his nation's footballing history, and chips the ball down the middle to <laughs> to win the game and knock out the country of his birth. He's- I mean, we spoke about the Alexis Sanchez penalty to win Chile the the Copa America, and this this for me was was just even beyond that, incredible. I mean, to, like- to imagine what the thought process is to 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 walk up to that penalty spot and think I'm going to Panenka a penalty here to put my country into their first ever world cup quarterfinal it's just he's mad a,
3: he's he was- incredible but he's a right back like like you said alexis sanchez in the copa america final like at least it's alexis sanchez doing it not the right back which is just i mean like hakimi's not an ordinary right back he's, he's one of the, the the very very best wingbacks in the entire world um but still for for a right back or a fullback for a defender to have the metal to just turn up mm-hmm. and do that in that moment is just absurd to me after like the coolest player pretty much in world football over the last 10 years. And Sergio Busquets has just slid a penalty straight at the goalkeeper. But, especially it, because amazing.
1: like my nightmare, my nightmare would be being in that situation, penanking it. The keeper doesn't go and just catches it gently. Like it would be so, so bad. Um. All right. Well, let, let's look ahead quickly because we get two days off from this. You don't have to podcast with me until Friday, you lucky sons of bitches. Um, but it's, it's Netherlands, Argentina, Croatia, Brazil, England, France, France, and Morocco, Portugal. And, I mean, I can't look past England, France, obviously. To me, as good as Portugal were today and as good as Morocco were today, I still see the team that wins that game as the team that probably goes to the final from this bracket. And then the other thing that sticks out to me is, sorry, Dutch and Croatian fans, I apologize in advance. I want to see Brazil, Argentina in the semifinals. So, Louis, I'll let you have a first crack at it. Uh, Those are the things that jump out to me. We need to get Brazil and Argentina through so they can meet in the semis. And I think the England France winner is gonna wind up in the final. You have any other take takeaways from what we're gonna see in the quarters?
3: Just just on Brazil, on the prospect of Brazil, Argentina, just like I said to my wife the other day. Remember those Clásicos when Mourinho was in charge of, <laughs> of Real Madrid and it was it felt like they played each other six times or seven times every season, but it was just box office it was high performance art and theater and you couldn't take your eyes off it even though everybody was just moaning about all the players diving and screaming and <laughs> and moaning at each other and the way they were kicking each other and stuff no one could take their eyes off it and brazil argentina in a world cup semi-final screams that level of, of theater and drama to me so i'm i'm with you i really hope to, that that's what we see um the other side i i don't know how clear cut i see it uh, you know, england france morocco portugal um, i don't know how clear cut that is i feel like uh, i feel like any of those teams could tr- trouble one of the other teams yeah, um, you know, i think morocco I, I think these tournaments you always get it's quite difficult after a moment like they've just had against Spain to then go into the next game and and bound into it. And it's a bit, you know, you worry that maybe they've already had their moment and and their final, their big emotional release so far. Um, And and to replicate that now against Portugal will be tricky. Uh, And obviously England-France on Saturday will be, hopefully, one of the, the best games. It should be on paper, you know, one of the best games of the whole tournament to two teams just full of top-level players going out for a place in the World Cup semi-final. You can't ask for more than that.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Phil, your quick uh, overview of the upcoming quarterfinals, uh, you don't have to go in the direction I've chosen, just what, what's jumping out at you?
2: No, I mean, it's what Louis said. I mean, you can't take your eyes away from a Brazil-Argentina semi-final, especially with the narrative of, of Messi Is it his last one? Probably, you know, and he kind of needs that one to complete the set, you know, and, but Brazil or Brazil, you know, and they look very ominous. And I just think with Neymar, with the strength in defense, I I think it's going to be an incredible game if, if that eventually comes into fruition. But, you know, I don't see Croatia giving Brazil too many problems. I could maybe see the Netherlands being, being a, a little bit more difficult, um, for Argentina, just due to their style. I think they're so difficult to read, very up and down. One day they can be with a with a back four, the next with a back three, the next, you know, they're pressing, the next day they're sitting back. So I think the Netherlands under Van Gaal under in general are just very difficult to read. So but obviously I would love it. I would love to see a Brazil-Argentina semi-final. And then yeah, Morocco-Portugal. I mean, asking them to go again after today, I mean, the effort. I don't know how they're going to have anything left in their legs, to be honest, because I was fearing for them at the 75th minute, let alone the 120th. So, hmm. you know, do they have enough? That will be the, uh, the litmus test and Portugal will be on a, on a big high, really looking forward to France, England. I'm I'm hoping to see a really fast paced game of football. Um, and I think it's interesting because they don't have too much history in, in tournament football. um, so I think that's a really nice angle for the games to take place. By the way, if I if I told you how many games Spain had won in the World Cup since 2010, how many would you guess?
1: Since 2010, including the 2010 World Cup?
2: No, since since 2010 okay. in the in the three is World Cups since. Is
1: it, was it 2, 3? Um, I'll say 3.
2: It's 3. Yeah. That's one against Australia, I have an encyclope- one an encyclopedic against encyclopedic
1: memory of all football yeah. events,
2: so- <laughs> <laughs> one against Australia, one against Iran, and, and one against Costa Rica. Three wins from eleven.
1: But have they won a mean, Euro not- in, in the intervening period, or what, what? What am I thinking? Or I guess they won the World Cup in 2010. Is that when they won? Yeah. Yes. And, and then okay. the 2012. Yeah, and, and then t- and then euros. 2012. And then 2012 euros. Yeah. So that those are important details. You know, I feel like that that buys you some goodwill.
2: <laughs> no, no. I, I just thought it was a really interesting stat. It is surprising. It's but they it was weren't surprisingly in between. low. T- to
1: be fair, this is everyone who's exciting about them now was not available four years ago, right? So no,
2: no, completely, yeah, completely. Yeah. I just okay. think it was an interesting interesting stat. Like we said, we covered the young player angle. Um, but it's yeah, like the stat you
1: gave me the other day to launch the the episode that England and France have never done battle before in history. Yeah, that apart from 1066. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> Historically, <laughs> that doesn't check out. <laughs> it
2: doesn't it doesn't <laughs> check out
1: <laughs> exactly. All right, let's leave it there. There's been a hell of a lot of fun. We'll obviously come back for the quarterfinals. There's going to be a Patreon pod tomorrow on the January transfer window uh, with Clive and and transfer targets and things like that, and uh, how much money we're paying Benfica, which would be fun. Um, we may do uh, we may do another Arsenal Vision Pod this week if there's any news, anything to update, but there will be more uh, World Cup dailies as the World Cup actually has you know daily stuff going on. That's kind of the whole point of the World. Cup. You know what? You'll figure it out. Phil's on Twitter at underscore phil costa. Thank you, Phil Costa.
2: Thank you very much. I just like to apologise to Harry Sutar because I'm now a Sophie and Amrabat Stan account. So um, sure. that's been that's been my personal development in the last few days.
1: Just. Don't go to Denmark. Lewis is on Twitter <laughs> at LG Thank you, Lewis. Harry Suto, will never forget you. <laughs> and I you will never forget either of you. You should forget me and block me on Twitter. Yank Gunner, we love you. We will talk to you. Talk to you after your country ten, other country no.